This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. This is Sunday morning. Faced with rising coronavirus cases across the country this past week, public health officials warned Congress that this pandemic is far from over, which makes the question of when. When will a vaccine be ready all the more urgent? It's a question Martha Teichner will try to answer in our cover story. With the world desperate for a COVID vaccine, manufacturers are already gearing up so millions of doses will be ready to go the day one is approved. I think what we should exercise here is humility. We don't know what we have. They don't know what they have. It's risky. It's expensive. Ahead this Sunday morning, Operation Warp Speed. Not fast enough or too fast. Next on our morning menu, we'll find out what's cooking with TV host Guy Fieri, who's reliving his travels in pursuit of local eats with our Mo Rocca. The car. The hair. That's all right here, right now. The personality. This is the bomb. With Guy Fieri, everything stands out. Now he's standing up to help a group of people hit hard by the pandemic. How much money have you helped raise for out-of-work restaurant workers? I think we're just on the cusp of $24 million. 
Coming up on Sunday morning, I need two veggies. The tireless Guy Fieri. Enjoy. For the record, the singer-songwriter known as Lizzo is on a roll these days, following her three Grammy wins earlier this year. Hers is a success years in the making, as she tells Tracy Smith. Lizzo is a human firestorm of self-confidence, but it's taken her a lifetime to get there. What were you insecure about? I was insecure about my body, my smile. I would be like... But look who's smiling now. <laughs> the one and only Lizzo, later on Sunday morning. Baby, how you Rita Braver takes us to a summer theater where the show will go on. Lee Cowan prowls the streets with a pothole artist. Yes, a pothole artist. Documentary filmmaker Ken Burns looks forward to the return of baseball. Plus an award-winning story from Seth Doan, some thoughts from Faith Saley and Jim Gaffigan, and I'll roll up my sleeves for some spring cleaning. More besides on this Sunday morning, the 28th of June, 2020. We'll return in a moment. So when will we have a vaccine? It's a question that comes to mind whenever we hear a story about the coronavirus pandemic. Our Sunday morning cover story is reported by Martha Teichner. So what am I seeing? These individuals are putting one of the single-use bioreactor bags into this 50-liter bioreactor. Step one in manufacturing a coronavirus vaccine. It's not an understatement to say that the entire nation's hopes are focused on what's happening right there through that window. They'll mix the ingredients together per the needs of the particular platform they're developing, in this case, Novavax. For clinical trials already underway in Australia. This is where it begins to produce the hundreds of millions of doses. Sean Kirk is executive vice president of Emergent Biosolutions, a Maryland company gearing up now, preparing 4,000-liter tanks to have hundreds of millions of doses ready to go if and when any of its clients, Novavax, Johnson & Johnson, Vaxart, and AstraZeneca, make it to the finish line in the race to a vaccine. What happens to all those vaccines that you're ramping up to have ready on day one after approval if it doesn't come? Yeah, the federal government's made it clear that they're willing to invest a substantial amount of money. $628 million just to emergent to manufacture them all anyway, before approval, whether they succeed or fail. If they're deemed to be ultimately unusable, then it's quite possible that they could be discarded. Just literally thrown away. Wow. It's risky. It's expensive. But we'll be saving massive amounts of time. We'll be saving years. President Donald Trump announced Operation Warp Speed on May 15th. Its objective is to finish developing and then to manufacture and distribute a proven coronavirus vaccine as fast as possible. Again, we'd love to see if we could do it prior to the end of the year. To try and meet that target, the federal government has already pumped more than $2 billion into what it's betting are the likeliest to win FDA approval fastest. 
out of more than 120 in development. Drug industry heavyweights are behind some of the front runners: Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, Merck, AstraZeneca. Encouraging news about a potential coronavirus vaccine from the drug maker Moderna that its vaccine showed promise in small, early-stage testing. Not so well-known, the biotech firm Moderna touted promising early results for its vaccine, which uses an unconventional new approach to creating immunity. We are desperate for a vaccine. As a consequence, we're looking for any sort of news that could be good. But I think what we should exercise here is humility. Dr. Paul Offit is a member of the National Institutes of Health panel, overseeing the accelerated development of a COVID vaccine. He fears what he calls an October surprise and co-authored this op-ed in the New York Times. I do worry that as we move to September and October and then Election Day, that there would be a pressure to get a vaccine out there, even if it hasn't been tested in the way it needs to be tested, which is a big phase three trial. What that means is giving a vaccine to at least 20,000 people, with another 10,000 getting a placebo, and then waiting to see who gets a disease and who doesn't. Typically, those trials last years, not months. It took Offit more than a quarter of a century to get his own vaccine licensed for rotavirus, which killed half a million infants and young children each year around the world, more than the total death toll from coronavirus. People are frantic. They're almost panicky about living in a world until there is a vaccine. Now, how do you manage the public pressure to hurry up and get to the finish line? Hopefully there will be an understanding that in order for us to prove that a vaccine is safe and effective, that it needs to go through this process. I mean, I just harken back to the, the polio days. April 26, 1954, nationwide field trial vaccination nicknamed the shot heard round the world. We waited, despite the fact that every year in this country, as many as 30,000 children would get polio and be permanently paralyzed or end up in iron lungs, and 1,500 died. All through 1954 and into 1955, reports on the field trials funnel into an evaluation center established at the University of Michigan. How safe is the vaccine? How effective is it? The nation awaits the verdict. If you think that the terror of that was any different than the terror of this, you're wrong. So we could even wait then, and we can wait now. A.B. Rorig thinks he and other people of his generation can help speed up the process. By my doing this, there is a very real, very immediate chance that a vaccine could be developed earlier. Lives will be saved. Even if the cost is getting very, very ill or even dying. Yes, that cost is real. Rorig is 20, a college student, and a member of One Day Sooner, an organization calling for controversial human challenge trials in which healthy young volunteers, 18 to 25, would test vaccines by being exposed to the virus deliberately. No waiting. So far, more than 25,000 people worldwide say they'd do it. I have some history taking on this sort of calculated medical risk because I donated my kidney last summer. And so I see this as a very similar situation. I am very willing to take this risk onto myself because I know that COVID-19 is devastating the world. 
this is, I think, my generation's World War II, basically. We have multiple instances for many diseases, such as influenza, dengue, cholera, malaria, typhoid, where it has been shown that those human challenges actually were able to better understand the infection, but also test therapeutics and vaccines. But with COVID, there are ethical and safety issues, according to Dr. Nadine Rufael. An associate professor of medicine at Emory University, she's worked on four human challenge trials, which start out with deciding which strain of a virus to use and how big a dose to give. For coronavirus human challenge, we don't have a strain, we don't have a dose. We also don't have good drug against COVID. Ordinarily, do diseases or viruses that, are, that have human challenge trials do they have rescue drugs? Typically they do. So with no rescue therapy for coronavirus, that intensifies the risk. Correct. It would take three to six months, she says, just to set up human challenge trials. But she's in favor of moving forward. Is it brave or is it crazy? If it's done the right way, it's really a service to society. So you're leaning toward brave? I guess so. <laughs> for COVID vaccines... Human challenge trials are still only in the discussion phase, while several of the front runners are expected to begin phase three trials this summer. I still think there is a reasonably good chance that by the very beginning of 2021, that if we're going to have a vaccine, that we will have it by then. For all Dr. Fauci's optimism, will that first vaccine allow us to take off our masks, feel safe? Will it keep us from getting COVID-19 or just from getting really sick or dying? We have to make sure that people know that it's likely it's going to protect against moderate to severe disease, but maybe not mild disease associated with re-exposure. So I think we need to manage expectations. Dr. Paul Offit predicts the first across the finish line may not be the ultimate winner. You don't want it to be necessarily the first vaccine. You want it to be the best vaccine. TV host and restaurateur Guy Fieri is well known for showing us what's cooking at out-of-the-way places around the country, which means he has lots to share with our Moraka. It is so legit. Everything about Guy Fieri, it seems, is big. Get in there, cousin. From the way he talks. Killer. I give you some props, man. This is the bomb. This is dynamite. To his love of tattoos. This was the last one. I got my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. For his success on television. I'm Guy Fieri, we're rolling out. Looking for America's greatest diners, drive-ins, and dives. As host of Food Network's Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives since 2006, he's taken his cherry red Camaro. This is Triple D Nation. To joints across America. How many places have you hit so far? Roughly. Give or take 1,300 in Santa Fe a few years back, he ran into acting legend Gene Hackman. What makes the Roadhouse one of your go-to spots? You know, I can come any way I want to. I mean, compared to... Well, you look pretty good. Well, I'm Except your hair. What do you know. think about that? What happened to your hair? But it's the eateries themselves that get top billing. Why do these places matter? A lot of these mom-and-pop joints are the fabric of the community. You know, these are places that kids got jobs... These are places where you got engaged. These are places where you had your great memories. 
These are places that you went and got a gift certificate as a donation to your kid's soccer team. The Triple D effect, as it's known on these establishments, is real. This tasty little joint, Alcinia's. In 2008, Fieri dropped in at Alcinia's in Memphis, Tennessee. Wow. Betty Joyce Chester Tamayo is the owner. That show probably has been the biggest impact on Alcinia's. You know, Alcinia's been really, really blessed. We're rolling out. Now, it's tempting to make all sorts of assumptions about Fieri. What do people think you eat? Uh, fried cheeseburger, hot dog, corn dog, uh, pretzels covered in cheese. And that's not what you eat. No, not at all. Veggies are my game. Love salad. Love spaghetti squash. Love, uh, love all the whole grains. Big Faro fan. This isn't so surprising when you consider his upbringing. Born Guy Ferry, he changed his last name to Fieri to honor his immigrant grandfather, he was raised in the small northern California town of Ferndale by parents he describes as hippies. We drove a van and they had a hide of leather and they made candles. They owned a leather shop. How much more hippie can you get than that? As a teenager, he operated his own pretzel cart. When he was 26, his parents mortgaged their home to help him open his first restaurant. I am Guy Fieri and welcome to In 2005, he was encouraged by friends to audition for a reality show. I am told that your audition for Next Food Network star just wowed people because you were so easy and natural on camera. See, anybody can read a cookbook. Anybody can come up with a simple idea. But the idea is bringing it to the table. I'll tell you what a lot of it is. You talk to people the way you want to be talked to. He says he didn't expect to win. In challenge after challenge, it was Guy and Reggie who led the pack. <laughs> and, you know, I've never been to New York, and I'm standing with all these chefs. For the next Food Network star. Here we go. Guy. He did win, and it's been quite the ride ever since. He's been parodied on Saturday Night Live. I got it backwards on purpose, much like my sunglasses. <laughs> Protect your neck. Hey, how's it going? Actress going Melissa McCarthy said she based her Oscar-nominated performance in Bridesmaids on Fieri. You know, I just got some pins in my legs. Believe it or not, pins in my legs can still do this. But there's also been less flattering attention including a scathing 2012 New York Times review of his now-closed Times Square restaurant. Negative press about Fieri inspired this defense from stand-up comedian Shane Torres. He goes around the country to small businesses and gives them free advertising on a national platform on a weekly basis. But because his hair looks like he was electrocuted while drinking Mountain Dew... <laughs> People act like we need to saw his head off and put it on the internet. But over the years, the knocks have been drowned out by praise for Fieri's big, make that huge philanthropic work. He's raised money for intellectually disabled children. He's received the Make-A-Wish Foundation's highest honor. And during the California wildfires of recent years, we're so happy to do it. We're so sorry for our friends that have lost their homes. He served thousands of meals out of the same mobile kitchens. I need two veggies. He's using to feed hospital workers now. Thank you so much. But wait, there's more. How much money have you helped raise for out-of-work restaurant workers? I think we're just on the cusp of 24 million. 
Fieri co-created the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund to aid those left jobless by the pandemic. So I started sending out personal video messages to all the CEOs that had any connection to the Restaurant Association. Uh, Pepsi, Coke, Cargill, Keurig, Dr. Pepper, you name it. The reason I'm sending this video is the restaurant business has been hit hard, as you know. I'm standing right here and I'm doing it. My wife and my kids are sitting here having dinner and they're like, millions of these employees. He's really losing it. 100% of the donations going directly to the employee. And so anyhow, uh, the next morning we have a conference call and they said, Pepsi just sent us a million bucks. I'm not kidding. I had to pull over the side of the road. So far, 40,000 restaurant employees have been given $500 grants. He has a huge personality and a big heart. And the last time I saw him, actually, he gave me a very warm hug. Eric Repair is the co-owner and chef of the world-renowned Le Bernardin in New York City. He has this incredible persona that's magnetic. If you're surprised to hear the triple Michelin star winning chef singing the praises of the star of Triple D, don't be. If I may make an analogy, you have musicians who play jazz, classic music, pop music, hip hop, you name it. Fine dining probably is closer to classic music and what Guy is doing is probably closer to uh, pop music in a sense. At 52, this married father of two is respected as never before. But not to fear, he's still one boisterous guy. Have you surprised yourself at how successful this has been? I want to be very uh, mature and tell you, no, I've always had this in mind that it would be like this. Rockstar all the way. And then I'll tell you, like the little kid, I'm out of my mind. This is Steuben's Food Service. The food is fantastic. Regional favorites. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Our congratulations to correspondent Seth Doan, producer Dustin Stevens, and editor Stephen Tyler. They've just received the Association of LGBTQ Journalists Award for Excellence in Network Television. We thought we'd offer you a fresh look at all her sons, their award-winning story. You inherited part of a cemetery? I did. What am I going to do as a cemetery? You know, a nice ring or a watch, but... But it would wind up that you would need a cemetery. Who would have ever thought? Ruth Coker Burks told us this unusual inheritance of 262 cemetery plots was left to her after a family feud. My mother got in a huge argument with her brother when I was 10 and bought all the remaining spaces in the family cemetery so he and his family couldn't be buried with the rest of us. That was the meanest thing she could think to settle the score. The plots sat mostly unused until the AIDS crisis hit Hot Springs, Arkansas. You were with some of these guys 
as they took their last oh, breaths. Yes. Death and I got to be old friends. Coker Burks, a self-described straight church lady, remembers when the disease went by another name. There are more lives claimed, victims claimed, than toxic shock and Legionnaire's disease combined. And yet most of the country doesn't know about this cancer. Legion Why? Well, I think it's because it's a gay cancer. Scientists scrambled to learn more. By 1984, researchers identified that the HIV virus, as it would come to be known, caused AIDS. By 1985, there were more than 20,000 reported AIDS cases worldwide. See, people think that the AIDS epidemic happened in San Francisco or it happened in New York. It didn't happen in the center of the country, but it did. As is the case with so many aspects of AIDS, the enemy isn't just disease, it is fear. And as fear swirled, Ruth Coker Burks, then in her mid-20s, found herself face-to-face -face with the disease while visiting a friend at an Arkansas hospital. She noticed a room no one was entering. An AIDS patient was inside. He was so frail and so pale and so near death, and he weighed less than 100 pounds, and you couldn't really tell him from the sheets on the bed. The young man in 6-H. Did you go in that room? What happened next was dramatized in a short film when the patient, known as Jimmy, asked to speak with his mother. I'd like his mother's phone number, please. He wants his mother. Honey, his mother is not coming. He's been in that room six weeks, and nobody is coming. But Ruth Coker Burks returned to Jimmy's room and says she sat with him for the next 13 hours. What made you stay with him until he passed away? He needed me. His mother had already abandoned him. Nobody wanted his remains, so Coker Burke says she paid for his cremation and then put his ashes in a cookie jar and brought them up to that cemetery. She thinks she ended up helping maybe hundreds with AIDS, mostly men, abandoned by families and churches. It sounds like it wasn't always love thy neighbor. No, it wasn't. After helping Jimmy... And what made you think, I'm going to help others? Well, I didn't. They just kept coming. I couldn't turn anybody down. There was no one else to take care of them. There were just no other options. There was none. The KKK burned crosses in my yard three different times. Really? Yes. You must have felt threatened. No. I was... I. I had a killer on my hands. I was dealing with AIDS. Why was I going to be afraid of somebody burning a cross in my yard? Coker Burks became a one-woman AIDS help center, driving patients to appointments, trying to find doctors, drugs, or filling out death certificates. John Anderson's gone. Owen's gone. Danny, Neil, they're all people who died. Here we were pretty much left on our own. I had Ruth. That was about it. How'd you meet Ruth? I met her at work. I managed a bar, and she came in one night trying to raise some funds to bury someone that had died of AIDS. Paul Wineland says they'd spin up drag show fundraisers to support Kokerberg's work. One of the performers was his own partner of 10 years, Billy. Stage name, Marilyn Morell. I thought it was really great, the things that she was doing for people. And then it turned out that I needed her <laughs> because of Billy, you know. Billy was diagnosed with AIDS. 
Before dying, he left Ruth his favorite red dress. Just to know that someone cares for you can prolong your time. You look gorgeous. Oh, look at you. Jamie Newworth's younger brother, Joe Ross, was buried here too. You have just been our savior angel, you know that. You just like melted all the fear and all that panic and anxiety. Newworth and her family had little money and were struggling in those final days of her brother's life until a nun gave her Coker Burke's number. She did everything for us. And all we had to do was come out here and, and pick a spot. She was a saint. Jimmy's right here. Do you have any idea how many people you buried here? There's over 40. She admits her memories are a little fuzzy. There's Tim and Jim. And maybe that's not so bad. You know, back then, it was just incomprehensible that this would go on and on and on. But it did. She says she found solace out on the waters of Arkansas's Lake Hamilton. No one was dying on the lake. No one was sick on the lake. You could catch a fish and throw him back in, and he'd swim away to live another day. And it wasn't that way on dry land. Coker Burks took on an informal advisory role on AIDS in the Clinton administration and would eventually be recognized for her work. I was a good man right there. That's a good man. In 2010, she had a stroke, which in part she blames on the stress of that era. Oh, and I forgot to point out, this is Miss Misty McCall's grave. She has one biological daughter, but during that crisis, Ruth Coker Burks became a mother of sorts to countless sons. I didn't have the honor of giving birth to them, but I had the honor of being with them in the moment that they needed somebody the most, and I would take them in my arms and I would carry them across the river of death, and there would be on the other side waiting all of the people who loved them and didn't judge them, and I had that honor of handing them back to their friends and to God. They were lucky to have you. I was lucky to have them. Months of life in quarantine have forced our Jim Gaffigan to rethink some of his great expectations. As things begin to open up or reclose, depending where you live, either way, I have a confession. I secretly thought this pandemic thing was going to be kind of easy for me. See, at first, I thought the quarantine was going to last two weeks. So I was a little off. I was a little off. I also assumed quarantine life would be relaxing. I like how none of this hurt until Patrick got on. Wrong again. Wrong again. Now, before you think I'm a fool, which I am, you should understand my logic back then. You see, in early March, in New York City, when there was rumblings of a possible order to stay home, in place order. there was part of me that was like, so they want us to stay home. Okay, I can do that. I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but shelter in place is kind of my go-to anyway. 
I'm what you would call endorsy. You know, you have to understand, I've been working and traveling nonstop. When I go out to eat, if I order a salad, the waiter's always like, aww. <laughs> Look at you try. Doing what I love, but my life had lost some balance. I viewed a lockdown as a time to regroup, maybe rejuvenate. I thought spending time with my family would be helpful. It wasn't, and it, it isn't. But what did I know? Back then, in early March, when we were finally issued the orders to not go to work, to stay home, and in the case of New York City, not leave our apartments. Remain indoors to the greatest extent. I was like, Phew, this is going to be easy for me. This is my wheelhouse. And then when I found out ordering delivery could help small businesses, I was like, I'm going to be the king of the pandemic. Anyway, my point is I was wrong. Yeah. And it's not the first time I've been wrong, but it's probably the last. I'm Jane Pauley. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning. To everything turn, turn, turn There is a season turn, turn, turn And a time to every purpose under heaven And a time to every purpose under Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.